Tonight we're talking about the spirit realm, and I, I was, um, you know, obviously today is October 31st, Hallow's Eve, um, and so I thought it would be appropriate, I was talking to Greg last week, and we thought, well, maybe we should have done it last week as kind of a mental prep week, but it looks like everyone made it, so very, very uh, thankful for that. And what we're going to be doing this evening, it, we're not, it's, it's not going to be any different in, in practical terms from what we do any other evening, which is we have a topic or a concept, and we go to the Bible and we look at what the Bible has to say about it. And so the, the main point of this will be the reality, the power, and the influence of the spirit realm. And the idea is this. We all have, a, have as a presupposition to this course that the Bible is true, that, that, that the Word of God is true and that the things contained therein are true. And if that is the case, then what does that mean for the spirit realm? For um, when we talk about spirits, of course, God is a spirit. We're talking about uh, um, Satan as a spirit. We're talking about angelic spirits, both um, what we'd call confirmed angels, God's angels, and then um, the demonic realm, uh, other fallen angels. And so the question becomes what yeah, does it exist? How does it exist? Is it influential today? Why does it matter? Does it matter? And if the Word of God is true on these things, what does that mean for us as it relates to every area of our lives? And uh, we're going to attempt to um, connect these things to uh, our lives just as we would seek to connect anything else to our lives. Um, so. The, yeah, there won't be as much on the screen this evening as, you, as we would typically expect. I don't have any of the, pa the Bible passages on the screen. I'm just giving the main points. There are no fill-ins tonight, just kind of a follow-along. I've got several videos um, to show you as well, and we'll just kind of see how the time goes. Um, I probably could have gotten more material now that I'm thinking about it, but we'll have to see how it plays out. So um, the first question that we need to ask is, what is a spirit? And as we seek to define what a spirit is, we talk about the spirit realm. Uh, a spirit is an immaterial being possessing personhood, possessing personality, intellect, and will. It, it is an immaterial being, uh, so the spirit itself is not something that is visible and tangible, and yet uh, it, it is still a personality. It has um, all of the, the attributes of personhood, personality, intellect, and will. It, it has the capacity to make decisions, uh, to, to think. Uh, it has a, a personality of its own. So we go to the scriptures to try to understand what it is. We know that we are persons, right? We have personhood. We have personality and intellect and will. And generally speaking, this is a large part of when we attempt to define what is a person, we would use attributes such as that. Uh, do we see these things in spirits? And so we're going to look at various Bible passages that talk about spirits, the spirit realm, and seek to define what spirits are. So spirits are naturally invisible to the material world, but are able to make themselves visible to that world. So we, we uh, can't say that because I don't see a spirit, it's not around. But that also doesn't mean that a spirit cannot make itself visible, make itself uh, uh, manifest. And we see this, um, I give you an example here of, of several examples, the first of which is Balaam and the angel of the Lord. It's misspelled on the, the bullet point there, but you can see the spelling just below it in the, 
in verse 21, Balaam and the angel of the Lord. So in this particular passage, Balaam was a prophet and uh, he was commissioned by um, the king of Moab and the king of Moab wanted Balaam to curse the nation of Israel as the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt in the Exodus and was making their way to the land that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. And um, so... The, the princes of Moab come to Balaam and say, we want you to curse this nation. And Balaam says, okay, I'll ask God. So he asks God and God says no, naturally, because th- this is God's people. And so Balaam looks at the people, uh, the, the princes of Moab, and he says, sorry, can't help you, go away. There's nothing I can do for you. And that should have been that. Well, the princes of Moab go back to their king and the king says, send more money, send more honorable people, send more, uh, m- more incentive, Right. And so they send more incentive and Balaam sees the incentive and this is where things start to go bad for Balaam. And Balaam says, well, maybe I'll just ask God again. Uh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of honor. That's a lot of, uh, of, of things that I want. So maybe I'll just ask God again. And we get into this thing that the Bible calls the permissive will of the Lord. And the permissive will of the Lord is where God has already told you what he wants and what he expects. And after you know exactly what God wants and what God expects, you go back to God looking for some validation for you to do what you know you shouldn't. And instead of God simply saying no again, he actually opens the door and lets you, because you have your own will, he's going to let you go through it. He's going he's to let you go down that path. He's not, not, not going to say no again. He's already said no, and that should have been enough for you the first time. So God says, okay, go. So that's where we pick up in Numbers 22, verse 21. The Bible says, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. So God, in his grace, really, is still resisting him and he's standing in his way. But but Balaam can't see the angel of the Lord. However, his donkey can. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword, uh, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into a field. And Balaam smote the ass and turned her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote his, the ass with his, a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me. I would, there, I, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill thee. I love how he doesn't say, wait a minute, my, my donkey's talking to me. He says, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. Um, and the ass said unto Balaam, am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do such a thing? Have I, ever, have I ever done this before? And he said, no, of course you haven't. This is why I'm angry. And verse 31 is the operative verse here. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way 
and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. So we have a situation where Balaam did not know that the angel was there, but the donkey did know that the angel was there. And so the donkey was making these decisions, uh, uh, which was the proper decision to keep Balaam from getting resisted, really smitten by the angel of the Lord. And at the end of this conversation, the Lord reveals himself to Balaam and Balaam recognizes that the angel was there. So we see that the spirits are naturally invisible. They, they, they were not a part of the material world, but they can interact with, we'll talk more about that later, with the, uh, with the material world. And they're able to make themselves visible to that world. Uh, we see a second example of this with Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, it's another really interesting situation. So Elisha had been counseling the king of Israel against the king of Syria. And um, the king of Syria was getting very, very angry because Elisha was telling the king of Israel, don't, do, don't go here, There's a, you know, the king of Syria is going to be there with his armies. Don't go. And so he, because he was a prophet, knew what the king of Syria would do, the Lord telling him what the king of Syria would do, and he was giving the king of Israel inside information from God on how to avoid battles that would be to his disadvantage and how to, how to win the victory. And so the king of Syria gets extremely angry and he says, there is a traitor in my midst. There's a traitor, there's someone that's telling the king of Israel what I'm doing because he's do, he, he, he seems to know better than I do what's going on in my head. And someone says, that's exactly right. There's a prophet of God. And that prophet of God knows what you're thinking in your bedroom. It's, you, you, you can't beat a man who has God as his, as, as his inside information, right? And so he says, okay, we've got to kill this prophet. So he sends his armies to surround the, the village of the prophet Elisha. And the Bible says this in 2 Kings 6, verses 14 through 16. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So he sees, he, he comes out of the, of the house in the morning and the entire city is just surrounded by the army, this great army. And he says, what are we going to do? And the Bible has Elisha's answer in verse 16. And he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. So Elisha's standing there, it's just him and his servant. And he says, don't worry, we've got more people on our side than they have. And, and the servant looks around and he sees all of the people surrounding them and he, he doesn't get it. And so verse 17, the Bible says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots round about Elijah. So the eyes of the servant were opened, and he saw divine armies surrounding them, right? They're, these are spirit beings that are invisible, and yet they were advocating, protecting they were affecting the material world. They were protecting Elisha. They could not be seen, but they were there. We also see an instance, and this is a, a very important instance as it relates to the, the overall theme, why we're talking about it this evening, the concept of Halloween and such in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 
In 1 Samuel 28, um, Saul is the king in Israel. He was the first king and he ended up screwing up pretty badly. And uh, Samuel had died. And so Samuel, who had always kind of been Saul's crutch, when Saul really got himself into a bad situation, uh, place because he made bad decisions and he was selfish and he was what you know fill in the blank an ungodly man. Um, he went to Samuel and he said, "Samuel, help me, bail me out. You, God doesn't like me right now, but God likes you. So if you could kind of advocate for me and help me out, that would be great." And now Samuel's dead, and Saul uh, is in a bad way. So the Bible says in verse three of First Samuel twenty-eight. Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. So when uh, Saul had become king, one of the things that he did, and we'll see why as we dig deeper into the lesson, is that he took everyone that was a witch, a wizard, that communed with demonic spirits called here familiar spirits, and he got rid of them. He got them out of the land, and this is something that God strictly demanded, that there would be no one in, in, in the system of God's economy and operation who had any dealings with the demonic realm, that had any dealings with the spirit realm outside of God. God is the spirit, and they would deal with God. They would not deal with the other elements of the spirit realm. And so they, he had gotten them all out of the land. The Bible says in verse 4, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and pitched in Gilboa. So they're going to have a battle, right? And this is the typical battle that we see in Saul's day, which is them against the Philistines. It was a group uh, that had migrated from uh, the area that today we would call Syria. They were a coastal people. They were living um, on, in the, on the Mediterranean coast, in the land of Canaan. And um, they were regular enemies of Israel at this time. And verse 5 says, When Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. He recognized that he and his armies had no capacity to come against the Philistines and what they had to offer militarily. Verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by the Urim, nor by prophets. So Saul tried to seek the Lord and the Lord would not hear him. Why? Well, because Saul was walking in rebellion. The Lord had rejected um, Saul as king at this point. He was walking in rebellion. God is not answering him. So things go bad. And the Bible says in verse 7, Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. And what we'll find, you find it here and what you find if you study the history of 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 um, the demonic realm and the, the, the dark arts, if you want to call it that, is uh, very often um, women play a very high role. They're the high priestesses. Uh, this has to do going all the way back to um, false religions of, of, of years gone by and the role of the woman as uh, the matriarchal mother, life-bringer figure. Um, and of course, it's all backwards, right? God says that the man is, is, is to be the head of the home. He's supposed to lead. And so Satan turns it all on its head as he does with everything. Um, so Saul says, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit means a person who has connected themselves 
directly to a certain spirit, a spirit that they have a unique connection to, that they have a relationship with. And so when you talk about people, mediums, um, people that, that talk to a spirit, um, we'll talk about a few people in, uh, from our day, particularly there's a woman called Alice Bailey. And Alice Bailey um, is, is one of the, the beginners of the New Age movement. And she wrote some 20 odd books, uh, 24 books I think. And she began writing books at a time when as she was dealing with the spirit realm, she met a entity that she calls the Tibetan. And the Tibetan would actually come upon her and would transcribe these books and she would just write, write what she heard from this one that she calls the Tibetan. That's a familiar spirit. She had connected herself to a certain spirit and that spirit stayed with her. And that spirit became the one through whom she operated uh, and, and communed with the spirit realm. And so that's the idea of a familiar spirit. This woman has a, a demonic spirit that is connected to her through whom she operates in the spirit realm. So he says, find a woman with a, a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said unto him, behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest that what Saul hath done. She doesn't know who this is, right? She says, Thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life and cause me to die. See, she's connected to this thing, right? So she's in hiding. She's not operating this little black market per se. She's in hiding, but that doesn't mean the spirit's gone away because these things connect themselves to people. And uh, she says, so are you a spy? Are you here to, to root out all familiar spirits? And then when you find out I have one, then you're going to kill me for Saul because Saul has made this decree. And Saul, so I'm in hiding, right, is the idea here. And um, the Bible says in verse 10, Saul swear to her by the Lord, a great irony there, right, saying, as the Lord liveth, she knows that the Lord lives, though, because she's communing with this familiar spirit, and this familiar spirit no doubt knows that the Lord lives. As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Verse 11. Then said the woman, Who shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. So he's asking for Samuel, who is dead, to be brought up, for the spirit of Samuel to be brought up from the grave. Now, uh, if you're familiar at all with how familiar spirits work, biblically speaking, uh, that's not really what happens. You're not actually bringing up the spirits. That, there's nothing in the Bible that implies that, that there are disembodied spirits, that there are people of years gone by who are still operating in the world. They're disembodied, but their spirits remain in the world. However, a familiar spirit and the demonic realm can very easily pose as grandma, grandpa, person of years gone by. And because they have been around, they might even be able to have inside information on what's going on with that person, no history, those sorts of things. So he says, bring, this, bring up Samuel. And the Bible says in verse 12, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and... and um, the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. So she is really surprised when Samuel actually shows up. Like this was not supposed to happen, right? She has her familiar spirit. 
She's supposed to interact through that familiar spirit. She is supposed to be the medium through which the familiar spirit talks to her and says things from the spirit realm to her. And then she says those things to this person. And that person is supposed to be talking to whoever it is they want to bring up. This is actually the same thing that mediums do today. Now, a bunch of them are frauds. Some of them are not. They do this. They have a familiar spirit that is connected to them. That familiar spirit communicates through them elements of the spirit realm. And people say, I'm talking to grandma. I'm talking to grandpa. I'm talking to so-and-so. And they can make that connection. But they, the, nothing appears, right? The, it's the person that is the vessel through whom the familiar spirit is speaking. So when Saul actually appears here, she is just shocked. And she realizes that something... Is, is going on here. She realizes that Saul is the one who, had, who was there. The Bible says, And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what, thou, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw God's ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? So she actually saw, she saw something ascend out of the earth, she says. And she's terrified at this. What form? And she said, An old man cometh and is covered with a mantle. So this old man is coming, and Saul knows this is Samuel. So the Lord allowed a special, unique dispensation whereby Samuel was able to come out of this place that we know is the, was the waiting place for the redemption, for Jesus, uh, the place of paradise called Abraham's bosom in the New Testament, called paradise as well. And, um, and he's coming up out of this. And the Bible says that Saul perceived it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Uh, therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. And um, Saul, Samuel does not give him that benefit. Samuel rejects uh, his attempt to, um, have, to, to, to become his, his advisor in death. But what we see here is a situation where there's this woman with this familiar spirit where Samuel comes and he makes his presence known. We don't know whether or not uh, Saul saw him, heard him. We don't know all of the details. But what we know is that these things happened. Now, before um, I move on to this next point, spirits can take on material manifestations. What thoughts or questions do you have to this point, if any? So the, the, the point that we established with these three passages of Scripture is that we, we recognize that spirits are invisible, but that does not mean that they are not there and that they can, they are able to make themselves visible um, under certain circumstances so to the material world. world. You're mm -hmm. saying you just said they can appear as grandma or grandpa or this person, <coughs> now, right? Are you meaning that they physically are taking that person over and that person's interfacing with you? The medium, the, the person with the familiar spirit. So it would be, uh, if, if I'm the medium and you come to me and say, I want to talk to grandma, they have a, a demonic entity that's attached to them that will overcome them, possess them, yeah. speak through them. And what they will speak, they might, they, they might speak various information about, what, about grandma, grandpa, things that, 
that grandma and grandpa are dead. Right, grandma and grandpa are not actually speaking. Okay. The demon is pretending to be grandma and grandpa. Sure. So right. People are being deceived, thinking that these. Okay. Right. Yeah. So grandma and grandpa, you know, they are they are in in the grave. Their their spirit is in uh, one of two places. Right. Uh, at this point, it's either hell or it's heaven, uh, glory, and that they're not going anywhere. Right. Um, it's a slightly unique in the Old Testament. Hell is still a technically a waiting place for final judgment. Hell is not the final place of judgment. That's the lake of fire, and there is a distinction. Maybe we should have. Maybe I should have done the teaching on that tonight too. But um, probably would have been too much. But there was a waiting place because no one could go to heaven until Jesus actually paid the price. So there was a waiting place for the spirits of those who were justified by faith until such time as they until Jesus finished the work and then Jesus was able to bring them up to the presence of the Lord with him and that place is the place that the Bible calls paradise when Jesus says to the thief on the cross today thou shalt be with me in paradise when in Luke it's Luke 16 I believe um, in Luke 16 uh, Jesus gives the, the what, what the Bible calls the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man uh, is a man who loves only himself and lived for this life and so he goes to to hell, the place of burning, and Lazarus, who had nothing in this life but who had faith, went to what Jesus calls Abraham's bosom. And this was a waiting place, and as the rich man is in this place of burning and torment, he actually sees Lazarus across a gulf, and Abraham there, and he calls out and he says, Father Abraham, let Lazarus just dip his finger in cold water and parch my tongue for I'm tormented in these flames and Abraham says he can't get from you from, from us to you there's a gulf between us and you can't cross that gulf so this waiting place was actually like a two compartment waiting place and one of them was paradise and one of them was torment and they were separated you see this in Greek mythology right you have the the place Tartarus which was the 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 uh, the place where the, um, the titans were chained and you had um, Elysium which was the place of paradise and between the, the place of the damned and the place of paradise was a river called the River Styx and there was a gulf where you could not cross over from one side to the other and yet there was this place of paradise and that there was this place and that is actually a perversion of the way God actually designed it now, when Jesus led captivity captive, the Bible says in the New Testament, when he, he, he died, he, he um, went to this place, he preached victory, he went to the abode of the dead, he preached victory, and then it says he led captivity captive. What we believe that means is that he took those who were in this waiting place of the righteous, waiting for the redemption to happen, see, because they were redeemed on credit. Jesus hadn't died yet, so God had declared them righteous, but the payment had not yet been made, right? Jesus had to make the payment in history, in time. So they could go to a place where they could have rest, but they couldn't actually be in the presence of God until they were officially made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. So then once Jesus paid the price, he was able to go down and bring them with him up to the abode of God. And he emptied out that side of this waiting place. Hell is a place of, there's some extras here if you need one, if that's what you're saying, John. Hell um, is the other side of that. Um, Hades uh, is the abode of the dead. It's technically both sides of that. But th then there's hell proper, which is torment, 
And at the end of the age, the Bible says, at the end of, of the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth at the end of, of the world, then there's going to be a time of judgment. And everyone that has not believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be brought out of hell. They will be judged. They'll be found guilty. And then they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the eternal abode of the damned. So there's, there can kind of be a, a, a muddy of that. But um, this, is, this is kind of how a brief, brief rundown of how, how the afterlife and, and such works. Within this time then, Samuel was not being brought out of heaven, right? He was being brought out of this place of paradise, and God apparently gave a special dispensation for him to be able to do that. But we don't see that today. That's not what we're seeing when we're seeing people interacting with things that they think are spirits. Um, well, they are spirits, but they're not the spirits of loved ones. The, ha- the house is not haunted by some loved one. If there's something going on, it's a demon. And this totally changes the context of what's happening, right? And the, the gravity with which we should, think, we should think of this stuff. If we're talking about the demonic realm. Other questions or thoughts on this? Okay, so the, the, next, thing, uh, the next thing I, I want to talk about is that spirits can take on material manifestations. Um, we, they, they can take on material form, right? And we saw that a little bit with the angel of the Lord type idea um, with Balaam. But uh, there was an angel that ate with Abraham. And this takes it to the next level because here's an angel, three angels in fact, that are actually eating. They're eating physical food. Genesis 18 verses 1 through 14 talks about this. Um, the Bible says, The Lord appeared unto him, that would be Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under a tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts." After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. So not only is he going to make the morsel, but Abraham's going to have someone wash their feet, right? These are physical entities. Their feet are being washed. They're, they're going to eat bread. They're going to drink drink. And that's exactly what happens. So Abraham goes. He prepares a calf. Uh, Sarah makes, makes bread. And they take butter and milk and a calf, verse 8, and dress it, set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, the Bible says, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. He says, I will return. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard at the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. And well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being, also, uh, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Shall I of, of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So once again, do you see, what I'm trying to prove here is that these, this is the Lord. The Bible says the Lord said, and these did eat. So this, these are spiritual manifestations. These two, the, the, of these three, the two angels that were with the Lord would end up going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, 
would end up being with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And those angels physically pulled Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed. So again, they're interacting physically and materially with the material realm. One of the things I want to point out as we talk through all of this, you notice that as I'm teaching these things, I'm going to passages where it's almost as if we're just kind of intersecting with spirit beings along the way. Right? I'm not going to the passage that teaches us about what spirits are and what spirits aren't. I'm not going to the passage that, that gives us the teaching on demons because there aren't any in the Bible. That all, what we do is we are pulling from examples to see trends. There is no Bible passage that explicitly teaches us other than some warnings, uh, other than our, uh, how, how we relate to them in, in various ways. I'll, I'll show you what that means. But the Bible does not... There's no comprehensive education. That, right. That, you know, there's, there's a chapter on faith in the Bible. There's much about the expectations of what we should live by, the, the Sermon on the Mount and how we should give and how we should think about money and how we should think about uh, employment and how we should think about work and how we should think about family. All of that is explicit. The ideas surrounding the spirit realm are implicit. They are, they are as we see examples of the spirit realm intersecting with God's people and interacting with God um, we see in Job, Satan coming before the Lord and saying things. That's how we know that Satan has access to heaven. We don't know it because the Bible says Satan has access to heaven. We know it because in one of the accounts in the Bible, we see Satan have access to heaven, right? So all of that means that there's a lot of ambiguity. And because there's a lot of ambiguity, there's a lot of disagreement. And ambiguity also allows there to be a lot of people that heap things that the Bible doesn't really say, but call it Bible and call it doctrine. And, and this is where, again, a lot of disagreements come from. Some people say, I know this or I've seen this, but it's, it's very experiential. And with the demonic realm and with the spirit realm, a lot of it is somewhat anecdotal, experiential. Things that you kind of know, things that you can kind of understand. But uh, the farther you drift from the word of God, the, the, the less and less confident you can be. And some of these things. So I do want to men mention that as well. Uh, we see Jacob wrestling with the Lord in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 30. Uh, Jacob has just come back from uh, 20 plus years being away from the land of promise. And God promised that he would bring him back into the land of Canaan. Jacob is now coming back and he, is, he goes out at night to take a walk. And the Bible says in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he, that would be the man that was wrestling with Jacob, touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. So he popped his, his knee out of, joint, out of joint, effectively. And he wrestled with him and said, Let me go. This is the man that was wrestling with Jacob. For the day breaketh. And he said, that would be Jacob, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he, this other man, said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be no, called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. He said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So while this being does not say who he is, Jacob acknowledges that he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. So again, we see the physical 
interaction, material manifestations that can physically interact with the material world. That things, it, that, 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 that spirit, the spirit realm can move things, can touch things, can eat things, can interact with things in the spirit realm. I mean, in the material realm. Questions about that premise or that concept? The next one then. Spirits can take over material elements of the world. Uh, we see this in the Garden of Eden. Satan in the form of a serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And he goes on to deceive the woman. How do we know this is Satan? Well, we know it's Satan because of the last book of the Bible. In Revelation 12, 9, the Bible calls the devil and Satan the great dragon and that old serpent, you see there. And that's how we know that. So, Satan took, on, uh, uh, took upon him the form or perhaps took, uh, uh, possessed a serpent for that interaction. We see all throughout the Gospels, demoniacs, demon possession. These are people, these are humans who have had demons come upon them and control them. Verse, uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. And they came over t- unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who hath his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus uh, afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not, for he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he, that would be Jesus, asked him, What is thy name? And he, this would be the unclean spirit, answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. All right, so we have a circumstance here where there is a man with an unclean spirit, and he is what people would call today, um, he has a mental illness. As a matter of fact, if you follow modern psychology and you, you follow those that trace the history of it, they say, Mental illness used to be attributed to, to, to devils. They called them unclean spirits. We're actually regressing, I think, not progressing in our understanding of what's going on with people. Now, I'm not saying all mental illness is demonic, but we have, as a society, and, and by and large, you know, any part of the world that's not still pagan, the pagans understand what's going on, but any part of the world that is kind of have been civilized out of some of these spiritualistic elements would say there's just misfiring synapses when in fact there can be tremendous demonic influence, oppression, and even possession in, in people. And um, here's a man who bought, through demonic possession was given superhuman power. They would try to bind him with chains and with ropes and he would just tear him off. 
and he he would be cutting himself. He was being they were tormenting him. These demons that were inside of him, and uh, it wasn't just one. In this case, um, his name was Legion, and, and, and a legion of of, of troops is, is uh, it could be anywhere from one thousand to five thousand in the Roman military, right? And the idea is that there was this massive number of demonic beings that had possessed this man and that were tormenting and controlling this man. And so we see that that, that spirit realm can take on take on not, not just material form, but that it can overcome material elements. It can control material elements in the world. Finally, uh, spirits are able to influence the material world. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul warns the church, and he warns Timothy as a pastor. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, the teachings of devils and the tricks of evil spirits. I'm going to introduce you to some people that are actually, they formed the very foundation for the world as it's attempting to operate today, and it's being entirely driven by the doctrines of devils, by that which demons have taught, and that which, which through, like I said with Alice Bailey, whose, whose demonic influence, the Tibetan, caused her to write these books that formed the very basis for, for modern, the modern humanistic ideas that, that pervade our culture today. Um, those are the doctrines of devils that she has committed herself unto, and that thus others have as well. Second Timothy warns about this as well. Chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now this idea is not necessarily that, that the devil or a devil has possessed these people, but rather that they are caught up in his tricks, in his lies, in his influence. And then 1 Peter 5.8, we are warned as God's church, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Spirits are able to influence the material world. They are seeking to have their, 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 their influence within this world. And um, we need to understand that. Questions or thoughts on this? All right, the last thing that I want to kind of set down here in, in a foundational way um, before we get to warnings about the spirit realm is simply the fact that God is a spirit, angels are spirits, Satan and the demons, they're fallen angels, therefore they are spirits as well. And I'm simply laying this out just to let us know the context. When we're, so we, we've seen all this stuff about the spirit realm and I've gotten ahead of myself a little bit. I've talked about the angel of the Lord and God appearing to man. I've talked about demons possessing people and, and these things. But, but we do see explicitly from the word of God that all of these things are spirits. They possess into, uh, uh, personality, intellect, and will. And, and, and God... Angels, Satan, and his demons all fall into the category of the things that we talked about and the things that the Bible will then warn us about. So in John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we have the Holy Spirit, obviously, as one of the three persons of the Trinity. We know that Jesus has taken on human flesh, but we also recognize that, um, that God as an entire triune being is a spirit being. Angels are spirits. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariots, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. So we see there, he makes his angels spirits. His angels are spirits. Um, Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are, not, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So we have these beings who are under the, the, the command of the Lord, who, who do his bidding in the world, who are sent forth to minister to various people in the world. Satan and demons are also fallen angels. Uh, we see in Job chapter 1, this is why I talked about before, verses 6 and 7. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. He has access to the heavenlies. He has access to the spirit realm. He is a part of the spirit realm. And he says that he was going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. He has access to the spirit realm. We see in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, uh, this we, uh, speaks of Satan. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? And you'll find quite regularly that, that uh, Lucifer, which means bringer of light or light bringer, um, is a term which is the, the favorite term of, of Satanists, of those who are into the demonic realm, because they see Lucifer as the one who brings hope and light. But that was his name prior to his fall. Um, and he was, uh, from what we know, God's most exalted of angels before he, in pride, exalted, sought to exalt himself above God. So the Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And so Satan is a, a, a spirit being. His angels, his, his demons, the, the fallen angels are spirit beings. Angels are spirit beings. God is a spirit. Maybe it's just culture that's gotten to me in this way. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm curious... You look at Lucifer or Satan as kind of the god of the underworld, right? He's like the leader of all the demons, right? right. How did he become the, the, the guy, the leader of all of them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was my question, too. Where did he start? Where did he come from? Okay. Yeah, how did he become what the, the What does the Bible say of all of them? 
Okay, so what we have here is we have through Ezekiel and Isaiah a general picture of Satan, of Lucifer, and that Satan was what, what Ezekiel says it was the anointed cherub, right? So he was, he was um, and the Bible talks about that he, his voice was beautiful, that he was beautiful. That the Bible describes him in terms of precious jewels and that his pipes were, were which means his voice, his pipes were, were, were beautiful. So he was the anointed cherub who ministered before the Lord. God made him as what we might call the worship leader in heaven. And he, in pride, saw himself and said, I, I want to be God. I want to exalt myself above God. And so he sought to exalt himself above God. He rebelled against God. He made a choice to say, I'm going to be God. I'm going to exalt myself above God. I can have a kingdom. I can be God. I can, I can be better than God. And he rebelled against God. And so he was cast out of heaven. And the, the, only, the only insight we have into the, the other demons is from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, I believe it's chapter 12, um, John sees a vision of a woman. And this woman is Israel. She has 12 stars on her head. She's giving birth to the one who would be the king of kings, right? And then the Bible shows a dragon. And this dragon has seven heads and ten horns. And this is a picture of Satan. And the Bible says that this dragon with his tail casts one-third of the stars of heaven down to the ground. Oftentimes in the Bible, the, the idea of the stars of heaven is angels, the Bible says in Job that as God created the world, the morning stars sang together. And so that, that picture is that the angels, God calls them stars. It doesn't mean when you look up at night and you see stars, those are angels. Those are burning. That's burning, you know, balls of gas, right? But, um, but he calls them regularly stars of heaven throughout the Bible. So the only, the only little snippet that we have to glean a little bit of where the demons came from is that there was one, a full one-third of the entire host of angelic beings that God made. God made them in what we call unconfirmed holiness. So he made them in perfection, but he gave them a will. And at some point, these, these angelic beings had to make a choice. Serve God or don't. And that choice came on the day where Lucifer made his choice. Lucifer made the choice to rebel. And so there were some that followed Lucifer in rebellion and said, we believe Lucifer should be the one who sits exalted in the heavens in, in place of God. And, and then there was a portion that chose God. The best we can tell is simply from that one passage that implies that one-third of the entire host of, of, of angelic beings followed Satan in his rebellion and became what we call demons. So is Satan, his purpose in tormenting humanity and you know, rebelling and doing all these horrible things and whatever, is it simply to just be a big jerk to God? I mean, is that why he attacks so by and large, actually, people love Satan in this world. Satan is not a tormentor of this world. The demonic realm can torment, and it leads to torment. And, and the life is eventually a life of torment the deeper you get down that rabbit hole. So is he just trying to win some for his side? Is that his thing? He's, he's trying to build a kingdom. So he and God are, right now, there's, there is a two, um, there's so much here. This, I actually got so overwhelmed 
trying to put this together because there's so much to talk about that's just impossible to talk about unless we, I mean, we, we, we would need a lot. Don't let me derail the track, sorry. But let me just say it this way. I think this is important. It is important. Satan, and, and, and I've got some really good um, sermons that I've preached on this actually, which I can point you to on my website if you want to learn more. Satan has, what he's attempting to do is create a counterfeit kingdom. He is, he is in direct opposition to God, and the, all of history is, is okay, so, so Satan gets cast out of heaven, right? Satan wants to create a kingdom, like God has a kingdom. God created a kingdom for himself. He created the animals, he created the world, he created these things to worship him. He has these angels to worship him. This is his kingdom, he is their king. But God created them with a will, with volition, because he wants his kingdom to choose him and to love him. So Satan gets cast out of heaven, and now he has all this power... But he doesn't have a kingdom. He doesn't have any authority over anything. So he says, how can I gain authority? And God, of course, allowing him to do this, goes to the person who has been given delegated authority over God's creation, which is who? Adam, right? Adam was created and given dominion over God's creation. And Satan says, if I can, if I can get him to follow my promises, to see God's promises and my promises, and to say, I want... Satan's promises instead of God's promises he bows to me he submits to me I become his king and I give him my promises and so there was this choice Eve was deceived Adam was not Adam chose Satan's lies you can be like God you can be your own God cast off the shackles of this God who wants you to submit, who, who is lying to you and telling you that, that all of these things that, that if you just trust him and that you love him and you stay within the bounds of his will for you, that that's what's best for you. God is d- not doing what's best for you. He is hiding something from you. He is keeping something from you. God is afraid of you. He's afraid of your potential. You can be like God. And this is what the New Age teaches, right? Your potential is limitless. This is Satan's doctrine. God, the God inside of you, the spark of divinity, as Oprah would say. This is all Satan's doctrine. Yes, sir, Glenn. I kind of picture God created the first basic level, and God created us in His image. And Well, he's cutting away God's stuff, but more than that, he, he, he got himself a kingdom, right? And so now he becomes the prince of the power of the air. He has delegated authority because mankind is born into his kingdom. He has kind of... Because of Adam's mistake. Because Adam chose Satan's kingdom over God's kingdom. So now it's built into us because of Adam. Right. Romans 5 tells us this. As by one man sin entered into the world... And death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But it's actually the good news, because that means one man can undo it, which is why God sent Jesus, right? So the whole scope of history, if you remember back to 101, is God creates perfect world, but that perfect world is in unconfirmed holiness. Man chooses Satan's kingdom rather than God's kingdom. These two kingdoms are operating side by side throughout history. Satan is promising his things, which are all material, we can see this when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Satan takes Jesus up to, to a high mountain and says, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down and worship me. Make, 
You acknowledge, acknowledge me and I will give all of this to you. Satan does this all the time. Now, in some ways, in certain contexts, this is very, very obvious in our world. In other contexts, it's not. But, but it's, it's that way. So when we talk about this transhumanistic dream, what the UN wants, what the EU wants, this transhumanistic make ourselves gods, spark of divinity, uh, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the Superman, as Friedrich Nietzsche would call it, it's what Adolf Hitler was trying to bring about, all of this stuff, it's the doctrine of Satan that says mankind can compete with God, can, can become God himself. And this is the lie of Satan all the way back to... to why, I guess I keep getting back to it in my mind. Why does, why does Satan work so hard to, 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 to win all? Because he thinks he can win. But against God. So he's using us to win against God. Well, if he can... He's trying to use us. He doesn't know the future. <clears throat> he knows what's been written. Right. But he doesn't know the future, just like we don't know the future. And he's, he, his whole game plan now appears to be... <clears throat> trying to change what's written as what will be the future into some other future because what's been written about him isn't a spot he's going to want to end up in. See, Satan believes, and, and this is the thing, if Satan... He doesn't can, think he's evil. Well, no, well he, no, he thinks he's... He, contrary to God. Yes. But, he, but it, to him, that's not evil. Right. <coughs> so, so the only reason why evil is evil is because of what we know about God, right? Evil is defined as that which is not God. Yeah, sure. So if he is that which is not God, then no, he, he doesn't see himself as evil. He just sees himself as not God. Glenn? Saved by God is also given uh, There's no chance for redemption for him now. Not, not according to the Bible. Humans have a chance of redemption. Right. Well, humans have a chance of redemption, but remember, that's why Jesus came as a human. Because humans have a chance of redemption. But the, the spirit beings, the, the Bible calls um, God's angels um, uh, the elect angels because they've already been confirmed. They've already made their choice and they've been confirmed in their choice. Mankind is not confirmed until the day they die or perhaps in the last generation, you know, something slightly different. But for every generation, effectively, when man dies, that's when he's confirmed in his choice, right? It's, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this Satan the judgment. God communicate with each other? Yeah. In Job, in Job so Satan comes before God. So, Does he still today, like right now? Probably, yeah, because... There's nothing that says that it's something changed. Right. So and, still for, yeah, and until... And, and the only time that we see a change is in Revelation. The Bible says that Michael fights with, with, with the dragon and the dragon is finally and completely cast out of heaven at which time he knows his time is short. But here's the thing. Why is it that, that, that the Jews, why is it that, that the Jews, you know, we had this, this anti-Semitic sh shooting a couple days ago and this is a trail that you can trace throughout history. People have always wanted the Jews to die. Right? Why? Why? Not just because they do good things. As a matter of fact, the, the spiritual reason is because if Satan can get rid of the Jewish people, then God has failed. Because God has indelible promises to them until eternity, right? If Satan could kill Jesus, it, it, you know, if, if, if he could have had Herod, you know, when Herod goes through and he kills all the babies when Jesus is a year and a half, whatever. If, if Jesus would have died right then and not been able to die on the cross, 
See, what Satan says is all I need is one circumstance where God's word fails and God is not God anymore. So, so well, God loses. And it gives them hope. So he keeps trying. Change. Right. Sure. So, so, so you said, you know, yeah, everybody wants to kill the Jews. Right. Right, because God's got a plan for the Jews. Right. Very clear. Yep. Right. So my question is, and if that's if that's the case, right? The Jews don't believe in Jesus. Right. Then throughout history, when the Jews die, they go to hell. Right. So how how that makes no sense? That makes absolutely no well, sense. no, because they are they are so a, a plan for them, and that's to go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. No, he has a plan for them in the future, right? So the they ones that are alive in the future. The for for that final generation. So any Jew can be saved, right? Sure, but I'm saying like the Jews up until that point. Are just totally screwed. No, no. until they're saved. Uh, well, if they're not saved, then they're then they're just like well, anyone else. Got a plan for them. Then we'll have to talk about that one another time. Romans Romans nine ten. Well, it's a lot. Like okay. we're, we're right. the things that I've already covered this yeah, evening. And if I could go there, day. yeah, right. But then I see. But then when you say, well, God's got a plan for the Jews, you know, and that they're special, right. Why, why would he allow them to go to hell if they didn't follow Jesus? Because he still has to do what's right. If they die in an unholy state, he, the right thing to do, the just thing to he do, he has to, to be just. So then do they have a chance later when they're no. running it all? Not the ones that are already dead. They've made their choice, so and they had their choice. Well, no, the last generation is the same thing. They're going to have a choice. I'm glad you're asking those questions. I hate to sound like a moron. Why don't we, let me do this. I've got, I've got, Okay, I don't even know if one session next week can cover that, but let's let's do that next week. If if you guys are okay with that, we'll go there next week. Dude, I just I just it, to me it's very like it's like confusing. Mm-hmm. One thing is saying something different than the other to me. And right. Maybe it's because I'm not seeing in color. Well, one he could talk about it next week. But one thing to understand is the promises to Abraham's descendants. It's 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 a nationwide, but there's still individuals inside that nation making choices. Some good, some bad. And I mean, even all the way from Abraham's descendants, there are descendants that are not going to be in heaven, and there are all kinds of stories written about them in the Old Testament of ones that made poor decisions, and others that still made decisions based on faith. So the only so, Jews that he really has a plan for are the ones that live a lifetime during that time in the future. No. When they then well, no, no, no. We're not talking about Jews individually. We're talking about a nation. God has a plan for the nation. Okay. Yes. For a period of time, they had that land. They lost the land, but they're promised to get it back again someday when their king comes back and reigns again. That's Christ. But they rejected their king when he came the first time. Well, they rejected him the first time, but God still promises there will be a second time where he'll come back and he'll rule, and they'll have the land they intended to have. And at that time, and so the reason why... He's here. Jews would also say he's here for the first time. Well, some Jews acknowledge Christ as their Messiah. Now, right. They do. Right. Not all of them. Most so of them don't. Not. The ones that do are what we call completed Jews or Messianic Jews, and they are no longer... Yes. The, well, if they accept Jesus as their they're Savior, absolutely. Well, they're ethnic Jews, but they are Christians, yeah, right? We're talking about the Jewish blood now. Right. So, so there are two different things here. The Jewish faith is an apostate pagan faith now. I mean, it's not... It, it, it has rejected Christ. No one can get... Yeah, that, that, that's possible. Blood versus religion. Okay. Yeah, the, the Jewish religion rejected Christ 
um, that the people that you know Jesus was speaking to in his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus said it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you, right? I mean, they these people were not so current righteous. The Jews I know that are alive today that are practicing Judaism are practicing uh, a pagan. Uh, un, it's not real. It's a it's it's a it, bunch of well uh, yeah. So so many of them. It's good as Mormonism. It is, it is re no, not quite. It's rejected critical truth. Right. There is now evidence, Jesus coming, dying, that you have to believe in him to be saved. Sure. The Bible, yeah. Rejected, rejected that knowledge. The Old Testament is true. Why? Because, well. Oh, boy, so true. much. <laughs> ah. well, I'm sorry, it's just like but, naturally but, the answer. <laughs> yeah, they're great questions. They just. Fundamentally, they didn't believe, so uh, didn't believe that he was the Son of God. The so much to talk Some about. Some others. Some others likely didn't care, and they just wanted to maintain the power they had under the law. Sure. Okay. They 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 elevated the law to their God. So it was more about their rituals and the law than it was about the truth. Exactly. Yes. So their loyalty was to the law. Right. So when when Jesus came, Jesus. There's no amount of rules that you can follow to get yourself. Right. Which is what they thought. Sure. And so there was a conflict. Unsaved humans' goal is to is to gain <laughs> power and influence, right? These guys had lots of power and lots of influence in the old system, sure. and with that system being kind of turned on its ear, they lose that. Sure, people don't give that up easily. Especially, I mean, yeah. Even two thousand so years later, they're still stuck on it. Well, yeah. well, now they're stuck on it for some different reasons. Right. Now they're stuck on it because they have a heart. They have been blinded divinely. As a judgment, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 tells us. But they have also hardened themselves even more so against it because of the influence that Christianity so has had on the world. God, you said, has a special plan for the Jews. Yeah, the nation. He'll bring that nation is, back. Is yeah. the bloodlines of those people that happen to be alive and accept Jesus at that time in the future? Yes. Then, so, so, but, but it's not quite like you, what you're saying there. So, uh, you know, we're talking about a timeline, right? At any time in history, the nation of Israel could turn to the Lord. But they won't because they're stubborn and they're ridiculous. Yeah, and you're saying right? on an individual day-by-day basis, when you die, the book's closed, either you accept it correctly. Right. Correct. Individual Jews can still, they're in, they're out on the same right. basis, right? But as a nation, they wholesale rejected God's kingdom when Jesus came and said, I'm offering the kingdom, and they said, you are not our Messiah and they killed him. And they're still in that camp. So now they're on hold. God's doing, working through the church. So in the Old Testament, God worked through the nation. Okay, let, let, let me so summarize it this way. It's our job to get them to figure out the truth. Absolutely. That's why the Bible says we go to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, right? This is the, this is the idea. So, so this, is the, this is how it worked. In the Old Testament, God's economy was this. I'm choosing a bloodline nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the nation I'm choosing. They're going to be a light on a hill. They are going to be rightly related to God. And when the world sees this country that has no plagues, has no famine, has no drought, 
has nothing because they follow the Lord, the world is going to look at them and say, that is the true and living God. Armies come against them and the armies are just, they, they can't do a thing. Because this nation is impenetrable because God is their God. That was God's design. But they never fully lived up to it. They lived up to it for a little while in David's time, in Solomon's time, in the time of Hezekiah, in the time of Josiah, because they had followed the Lord. But most of the time they were rebels and they were stubborn and they wouldn't do what they were told, right? And so God sends them into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. They figure out this idolatry thing isn't working for them. God restores them back to their land. They get restored back to their land and uh, throughout the course of time they fall into idolatry again. But then there's this huge nationalistic upsurge into the law. Um, and that is what Jesus comes into. This time where they're super pious, keeping the letter of the law. There's 600 or something laws. But instead of making God their God and serving him through the law, they elevated the law to be their God. They served the law instead of the God of the law. So Jesus comes in as their Messiah in this time and he says, I'm ready to give you the kingdom. And they say, you do not match up to what we want in our Messiah. We want a military leader. We want him to overthrow Rome. Or, or and in fairness, there's a lot of prophecy that talks about a military leader yes. that's going to rule. But they didn't understand they were too common. But, and if they had, but, but th this is the thing. The reason why they didn't understand, uh, of course, nobody understood there were two comings, but there were still those that followed and those that didn't. And the difference was, Jesus was, he came, and what it proves that he came and they rejected him because he wasn't quite what they were expecting is that they weren't actually following God. This is when, when Jesus says in John 15, John 10, excuse me, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. The idea is if they had actually believed in God the Father, the true God, they would believe in Jesus. So you're saying, yeah, so you're saying that the, their, their, their power and their, their rituals and legalism was more important to them at the time. It was their God. Being open to what was they had rejected the true character of God and they had erected a God in their image. In the, in, in the image of, uh, they, they called it God, but it was a God of their own making that they, could, that they could conform to. We do this all the time, right? I don't like that God says I can't do this and this and this. So I create a God that's all loving and all compassionate so that I, I, can, I can have God. I call him Jesus, but he's in my image and he accepts all of my sins and he only hates the sins that other people do. So that I can be righteous and other people can be bad and I can judge myself uh, on that standard. And, and, and so I've created a false God who's called Jesus. Most churches have a false God called Jesus that they worship. But they don't actually believe the book. Right? They don't actually believe the book. So, so here's the thing. Because the book is hard. Because the book is hard. And because the book has to be accepted by faith and humility and submission. And so the Jews, did, they didn't want any of this faith, humility, and submission. And this is the thing with every Jew today. If the Jews of today actually heard the voice of God from the Old Testament, because that's God then when they hear of Jesus, they will believe in him. Because Jesus is God. There's not, they're not two different voices. They're the same voice. So every Jew that has rejected Jesus has actually rejected the God of the Old Testament, the God that they claim to serve, the God that they claim to believe. So they're, 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 it's the same. It's more about their rules. Their, their rituals, their rules. Exactly. True. Yes. So they rejected Jesus. At the time that they rejected Jesus, remember Israel had a function. And their function nationally, collectively, each individual in each generation of Israel was responsible in and of themselves to accept, God's, to, to accept God by faith. Obviously, Jesus hadn't come yet, but to accept the truths of God's word. If they did, they were saved, justified by faith, just like Abraham, right? We talked about that with last week in faith. Abraham was justified by faith without the works of the law. 
Those that, that believed would be in Abraham's bosom, paradise. Those that did not would, would be in hell like anyone else throughout history. But the nation had this special relationship with God whereby when they did right, God would physically bless them. And when they did wrong, God would physically curse them. But when that nation rejected Messiah, rejected the kingdom on God's terms, God said, I'm going to fundamentally change how I'm operating. So instead of you being born into a bloodline and then having to, because you're a part of a special bloodline, you have this duty, but that duty is only actually being fulfilled by that small sliver of the bloodline that actually has faith. God says, faith is going to be the qualification for you to enter into the body that represents me. And now there's going to be a new body called the church that is rightly related to me so that it can show the world how to be rightly related to me. But instead of being born in by blood, you're born in by faith. And now the body is all faith. Now, there's going to be a time where the church is done. Its mission is done and God is going to judge the world. At that time, see, God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a kingdom. If God fails to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob a kingdom, that the nation the kingdom, if God fails to do what he's promised to do, then God is not God. He's a liar. He, he is not faithful. He is not God. So God has to give Israel as a nation these promises. But God can't give the nation these promises if, they're, if they won't accept him. So now there has to be a circumstance brought about whereby God can allow the nation to exercise its will toward him because God's not going to, we're not automatons, right? God's not going to, God can't, he won't force us, twist our minds to believe on him. So God has to create a circumstance whereby the nation of Israel, generally speaking, wholesale, like I don't know all of what that means. It's the same thing. What does it mean that the nation rejected him? Not everyone in the nation rejected him when they put Jesus on the cross, but the nation as a whole collectively rejected him, right? Where God is going to bring about a set of circumstances whereby the nation as a whole will collectively accept him. And this is the circumstance. God is going to, God is going to, to remove his protection from them to such a degree. They're going to be under such deep persecution and so much evil against them that they need a redeemer. And then Jesus is going to come be that redeemer. And they're finally, because they have been, all of their pride will be torn out of them by chastening. And that is, the, that is the extent to which God will have to go to bring them to their knees, to cause them to accept Christ as Messiah, so that he can then bless them. And, and that's what the millennial kingdom is all about. It's God fulfilling his promises to Israel. So when you back up and we talk, I know we Yeah, I know. We got way off here. But it's Halloween, and we think about all the like symbolism of evil and darkness and good and evil. And I'm wondering, like, the scary visuals you always have about people being possessed in the, the movies, and the, and it's all like blood and fire and all. Right. Is that humanity's depiction of the evilness to deter from the idea of it? In part. Um, so. So, you know, the idea Those of people's heads, right, it's always repulsive and scary, and it's often not like that at but, all. But I'm saying that right. has society constructed that to scare you away from it? Perhaps in part. Well, and, and just to, to make it, I mean, humans always take everything and they elevate it to its, its maximum, right? Uh, the demoniac of Gadara was screaming and cutting himself with stones and breaking fetters, right? So that, there could be some terrifying events here. 
But um, but if Satan's trying to win people, why would he terrify the people? Well, it's not so much that he's terrifying the people. It's what happens the deeper you get, the deeper you go down the rabbit hole, the closer you get to darkness, the more. Um, um, it, so when we talk about a deal with the devil, let, let me just go ahead and show you this stuff. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break from some of this teaching. Um, such great questions here. I'm sorry. But I'm like the what's the Anton LaVey's church or whatever. Yeah, Church of church, Satan. Church of Satan. Yep. I mean like they're like rituals and what they do is what happened there? I mean to me pretty at least what I think I've saw pretty scary stuff. It is. Yeah, I mean you're talking about you know, actual like, um, demon worship, you're talking about Killing blood babies. sacrifices, uh, all the stuff that Satan has always loved and wanted. Well, why does he love that if he wants to bring people closer and recruit them? Why would he scare the crap out of you? I think Satan's more of a trickery thing, more of a like, you know, you can do this, you know, put your armor on your person scare the crap out of you. What is this all about here? Come on. Remember they say, like, Satan lures you in with, like, twists on the truth? Okay, so I, I think there are two camps of evil. There's everyone in rebellion. And then those are that are actively engaged in warfare with Satan against the kingdom of God. Okay. Okay? <coughs> what he's talking about are people that are actively engaged with Satan trying to give power to the kingdom of darkness to wage this fight. <clears throat> Satan is more than happy to have you in either spot. Sure. Okay. So one's more passive. You're well, one's still going to get you to hell and you're not in God's, God's camp. So, so there, there are those that want to make a deal with the devil to invoke the deeper powers. What's and, the benefit to them in doing that? Um, power. And, and power. power. And it's not just feeling powerful. It is power. It is world power. It is money. Satan will give you money. He'll give you fame if you'll devote yourself to him. If you look in the Old Testament, there's no time spent talking about is there God or isn't there God. It's all of the discussion is whose gods what are more the deal here? Okay, so in the time that the Old Testament is written, everybody agrees that God's little G exists. It's who's are more powerful. Understand when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let the people go, the first four plagues are replicated by Egyptian priests. Okay, Which means they, they have that power too. Into snakes. And they can actually do it. They, yes. The Bible says they did it. Yeah. And then Moses' snake eats their snakes. Right? To show that Moses was more powerful, or the, the God of Moses. Because this is like a more test powerful. of who's more powerful. Elijah and the prophets of Baal was a test, a proposed test of let's see whose gods Here. are more powerful. Thank you. Okay? The prophets of Baal went up to the mountain expecting that their God would consume their sacrifice. They weren't highly illogical people. They, things must have happened that led them to believe that their God could do these things. But then in the showdown against the real God, God must have made sure that their God couldn't do what they wanted him to do. And then he showed off and torched the altar and burned right. the stones and everything, right? Yeah. So, like, the, the, the point with that is to say you can, human beings can gain power by allying themselves with the kingdom of darkness. That's the exchange both sides are willing to make in this world. In this world. Yeah. And, and they, their promises are in this yeah, world. Right. And we have a million examples. Of yes, but oh, sure we the, do. Kind, the kind of power that Satan gives... I think is is that these people are seeking is more supernatural, less money and influence, but abilities that they that they would not have on their own. Like 
turning snakes, is, snakes into snakes. Is, is Satan, so you trying to build an turning army? Water into blood. I mean, so at, at the end, like there will the be a final, final rebellion, rebellion, right, where Satan will gather the armies so of this world. That's why he's trying to like, in. in part, you know, most of the people in this world are lured in by the promises of this world. The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, money, greed, power, these things, right? And these are all principles of Satan, the things of this world. This is what he offers. Then there are those, like Greg said, who go to the next level. There's a great book that I've got if you want to. It's written by a guy who was into Qigong in China. And he could astral project and the levitation. And they talk about the third eye, the yin, the yang, tai chi. It's all a part of this Near Eastern mysticism. And it is all intended to invoke the demonic realm. And it's just incredibly scary stuff. And it's real. I mean, this stuff is real. In the Bible, when it speaks in the Old Testament of sin, it talks about allying yourself with Satan to gain these benefits and, and prescribes certain levels of... Uh, what would you call it? Sin and punishment yeah. related to doing yep. it. Yep. Right. So okay, so it's like a power. whole separate thing. But there's also a lot of torment that also comes with this power. The demons give you these things, but it comes at the cost of these demons do torment these people. Uh, um, I've got so so I've got these videos. Jim Morrison. It's unwise. So that's for sure. so, it's not so let, let's talk about Halloween first. Let, let me let me. And should Christians celebrate Halloween? Some believe it can be taken I've, I've back. Seen, Hang on, let me drop this down and. Fly across the room before because there were some people doing one at a place I was at once, and I've seen those things just go nuts. Okay. They're let's, for real. Unwise. Yes. They're for real. Uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, I wanted to draw you to the biblical principles, and we haven't. So, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a bunch of this stuff. I'm going to I'm going to put the cart before the horse. I'm going to come back to these biblical principles next week. But what I want to do, since we are in Halloween, is I want to show you. This is just a little clip talking about a former Satanist uh, who grew up in in the Church of Satan and talking about Halloween itself. After that. I want to give you a little bit of perspective on how Satan is truly influencing this world. And if you recall when we had those conversations about music, I cannot express to you enough how much, how deeply ingrained Satanism is in modern music industry. Not even like modern like the last 20 years. I'm talking about Beatles, Rolling Stones, pretty much rock and roll on. How deeply ingrained. that they, they, they all... And I've got the video clips here, and I've got more of them. They all, on, on, on Sgt. Pepper album with the Beatles, uh, Rolling Stones and their uh, Mighty Satan 1 album, both released in 1967. Both of them have a man on their cover named Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley is the father of Satanism, modern Satanism. And the stuff that you hear about, he, he, he wrote a book. You can see it on Jay-Z's hoodies, Do What Thou Wilt. This will be the whole of the law, right? Do what thou wilt. It's on Jay-Z. He has that, that picture of him in the hoodie that says, do what thou wilt. This is the slogan of Satanism. Do what feels right. You combine that with what was happening in the sexual revolution of the 60s with the hippie movement, all of that stuff. And it is all, if you, if you look at it, spurred on by Aleister Crowley. Uh, um, in the political end, it's a man named Saul Alinsky. Obama um, was a big... Uh, proponent of Saul Alinsky. Hillary Clinton did her doctoral thesis on Saul Alinsky and was one of his pupils. Saul Alinsky was a man who merged Satanistic concepts and the promises uh, of, of this new world order with politics. And um, really dedicated his book, Rules of Radicals, to the, to, first, rebel. to the first rebel, Lucifer. 
He dedicated his book to Lucifer. This is the, woman, the person that Hillary Clinton studied under, Obama studied under, and, and it's called Rules for Radicals is his book. Um, um, Oprah, Joel, Joel Olstein, these people were all influenced by a woman named Helen Shuckman who wrote a book called A Course in Miracles, which was a book about um, uh, corresponding with the demonic realm. Um, we talked about a little bit of Alice Bailey. You're putting Joel Osteen in the like Obama, like mm -hmm. the dark side camp. Uh, in the like, deceived, not like the, so not Joel not like that. He he murders like people Christian in his sleep. But he's like evil. He's like he is sold out to the philosophies of Satan. Yeah. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. So this is the Halloween bit. This is the Halloween bit. What was Big Greg's so endorsing it? Jamie and Dean. Remember those two? There was two guys that used to go around in like the late eighties and early nineties, and they taught. They went to churches and talked about rock and roll music. Yeah. And they came to my parents' church a couple times, but that was where a lot of this stuff, like you were saying, they they played backwards like Helter Skelter. Sure. And it said Sweet Satan. Stuff like yep. this. Do you remember those? Yeah, and, and so I, I encourage you to watch a documentary. There's there's some paranoia in it, but it's called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And that while there's some paranoia in it, there's also some some stuff that's just really important. One of the things that Aleister Crowley talks about is this idea of everything being upside down. When you see the upside down crucifix, when you see these things, the idea of upside down and backwards is the whole point of calling good evil and evil good, right? This is something that the Isaiah says. Cursed is he, the man who calls good evil and calls evil good. And, and so, again, am I saying that every single person in the music industry is a demonist? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, if you want a medium that can introduce these things in a seemingly innocuous way to a culture wholesale, and I've got uh, uh, little clips of this documentary from uh, talking about The Doors, talking about um, um, Rolling Stones, talking about Beatles, um, talking about Led Zeppelin, uh, and then of course you get into further, and I've got a really interesting clip about Beyonce. Beyonce is probably one of the most, most noticeable ones today because she has this alter ego named Sasha Fierce. She calls it her stage persona, her it's Sasha Fierce. She talks about the first time she felt something come upon her on stage and she was able to sing notes that she was not able to normally sing. She couldn't even remember what she had done at the end of her performance and she named this thing Sasha Fierce. And then she has that one album, I Am Sasha Fierce, where half of it is the Sasha Fierce end and half of it is the Beyonce Knowles end. And she says these are two distinct albums that are brought together because one of them is me singing and one of them is Sasha Fierce singing. Jim Morrison spoke of the demons that came upon him. This is why drugs and the, the music industry are so intertwined. If you've got demons that are tormenting you and yet giving you this fame and this power, how do you silence them? You check out. You check out. This is what Jim Morrison specifically said. He said, that, and people around him said, to silence the voices and the demons in his head, he used drugs and alcohol. And we can, you, you can go to Santana and uh, talks about how, how when he was writing music that, that, that he actually, it's like the music wrote itself. And we can chalk all this stuff up to just idioms, right? The music wrote itself, something came over me. Or we can perhaps see, pull back the curtain a little bit and see something. This is, this is about Halloween itself. pastor says, no, Christians should not celebrate it. I recently caught it with John Ramirez, and he had a strong warning for believers. Tell us a little bit about where you were 
in relation to Satanism and worshiping the devil? What, 25 years, uh, eight years old, boy, little boy, eight years old, demon church, to learn being trained by high rank devil worship with warlock and spiritual witches, turning me to or know how to take over territory, demonic, demonic contract, demonic, different demon territory, demon principalities, first, second heaven. I was being trained all the way to the age of 35, sold my soul to the devil, got married on Halloween, had a demonic wedding on Halloween. I baptized my daughter to the dark side at the age of 11. So that was my whole entire life. I mean, I, I breathe, ate, and slept witchcraft. Astral projecting, I will astral project over region, leave my body, astral project, curse the region, because if I can curse the region, I can capture the people. Knowing what you came from and what you used to do, you're pretty um, discouraged that you see Christians celebrating Halloween. Why? I, 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 I don't know how you can cheat on God. I don't know how you can cheat on the Lord Jesus Christ, because I don't see Satanists coming on Good Friday and coming hanging out with us. Right? You know, I come back in Halloween and had a demonic wedding. Why would you put your kids, your family, why would you put your purpose, your destiny, why would you put your whole eternity in a demonic altar? But people say it's just fun, candy, kids are having costumes on. Well, what you say is much more. It, 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 the candy, you know, I, I, I shared, I, I never shared this before, but these candy people from different walks of life pray over these candies. Witchcraft, they pray over the candies. You're not going to people go, you don't know the person that you're not going to know she's a witch. Okay, you don't know she's a witch, you don't wake up, she's practicing new age, and you're not going to go and you come in, you come in, in legal rights of this witch or this wall, this person is practicing this stuff, giving you this kind of candy. Now you're taking that stuff home, you put that stuff into your body. Mm -hmm. Amen? And on top of that, on top of that, I'm Tom Levain, said. That, that's the guy who founded the Church of Satan, Anton Levain. Church of Satan, right? Mm -hmm. Out of his mouth, he said, I want to thank every Christian parent for allowing their child to celebrate Halloween one time a year, the devil's holiday. And it took Adam and Eve to lose everything because of one mistake. Mm -hmm. It took Esau one, one circumstance to lose his birthrights, yeah. right? So yeah. why, would you, why would you bring that kind of curse into your house and curse your family from three to four generations? <coughs> So when your kids is five and you think it's cool, you dress them up. Once you put a costume on someone, see the, the, the trick of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were made in the image of God. They were made in God's perfect image, right? The devil tricked them with sin and changed their identity. Yeah. And once you put the costume on the kid, I don't care if you dress them up as Noah. I don't care if you dress them up as Abraham. Once you put this costume on Halloween, the, the birthright of Halloween, you're changing your kid's identity. The purpose and the destiny has been canceled unless you renounce it and bring it back. That is the trick of the devil. Now, now that you're sharing, and you share this everywhere you go. Everywhere you I go, I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm not, politi I'm not politically correct. I'd rather be right with God. You'd be mad with me, but at least you'll make heaven. Yes. You know, I mean, churches sometimes, they get mad. They get mad with me. They get, oh, why are you saying that? Why are you talking that way? What, what, how should I talk? If I, I mean, my, God told me to speak the truth. You know, I'm just a mailman. Amen. Now that you're a Christian, you're actually a minister of the gospel now. Amen, yes. Um, you said that you're now in a season where in your life where you're saying, I want to pay the enemy back for all the darkness. Oh, about 25 years and plus. You know, I, I, I've gone to places that people manifest, the manifestations of demons, people casting out demons, healing, healing the people. I mean, I'm living in a place today at the Church of the Book of Acts. 
powerful church, that church that came out of the upper room. Amen. You know, that's where I'm living. People saying, sir, I was just talking to a, a, another sister. I was saying, this Muslim lady came out to the altar. She had prostate cancer. She's a Muslim. She renounced Islam. She renounced uh, the situation. She accepted Jesus. She went to the doctor, no trace of cancer. That's the God that I know. Jesus. That is the Jesus Christ I know. He's the same. And the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's people that come from the occult practices, you know. I've been in the occult. I did Ouija board. I did this. I, I, uh, I, I, I did, uh, I, I, I practiced Wicca. I practiced New Age. You know, manifestation, people set free. And you see the transformation in their face. You see the love of Jesus Christ wrapped around them. I mean, how much, that is priceless. I don't mind paying the price. I'm going to do that until God call me home. And when I leave, my sister, listen to me carefully. When I leave this world, I'll make Jesus Christ proud. And heaven will rejoice. Hell will rejoice because I left the battlefield. Amen. I'll play for keeps. Amen. So, Amen. so here's a guy that, you know, he, he testifies about his, th- this, is, this is, okay, the rabbit hole goes so deep with this stuff. I can't, in a two-hour session, tell you, reveal to you all of the ways that, that, that this goes. And again, there's some principles that I'm going to bring up next week as it relates to why it is, you know, what to do with Halloween. You know, this guy's on the extreme end of the spectrum. He's been there what to do with Halloween, where is our mindset? It's not just if my child eats a piece of candy, they're going to be cursed and, and I have to bring their soul back type idea, right? There, there are, I mean, it's, it, it is a common practice among the Wiccans to, to curse their, the candy that they give out and this sort of a thing. By the way, Minneapolis has the highest number of Wiccans in the country per capita. Wicca is one of the fastest growing religions in Minnesota. Um, and so witchcraft is huge up here, huge up here. Um, but we'll, we'll get into all of that next week and some of the more dangerous elements. But um, what, what I was hoping to do as I talked through these elements of principle and then, and then bridging the gap is, and I'm sorry I don't have page numbers on this this week, but toward the end of this, um, and then I'll show you a few more video clips, but toward... Uh, um, it's all in bold. Let me see. Talking specifically about Halloween. It's, a, it's in big there. If you understand what Halloween represents, and then I add here what the music industry represents, what Hollywood represents, can you justify the degree to which you partake in them? And again, I'm not saying never watch a movie again, never listen to music again, but you need to understand what you're dealing with. You need to understand the associations. Now, the Halloween associations are pretty much unadulterated. I mean, people are dressing up as witches. They're dressing up as warlocks. And we say, oh, that's funny. That's whatever. We need to understand what that is. And if we understand the demonic realm, how active it is, what's happening in the heavenlies, if we understand how much God hates it, that's the next thing on this list here. Exodus 22, verse 18, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. You see a witch, you kill her, God says. Kill her. Leviticus 19.31 Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Um, uh, Leviticus 20 talks about the people that have familiar spirits and wizards going a-whoring after them, leaving God. A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death they shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. They asked for it, God says. These people are dealing with things that they ought not be dealing with. And they are, they, they are in a place where God says, if God's people get involved with this, they will be torn to shreds spiritually. It's that serious. 
And then the question becomes, now how serious is Halloween? It's the high holy day of the Church of Satan. It is... Um, the, it, it, you, you, know, you tra- trace it back through the Celts and the Druids to, to this being the last day of their year, November 1st being the first day of their new year, and the elements of, of, um, of worship that came a- along with that and the, the tremendous pagan, pa- paganism of, of the Druids and the occultism of the Druids. And you trace all of this stuff and you simply say, as a child of God, one who identifies himself with the true and living God and knowing that there's a heaven and knowing that there's a hell and knowing that this spirit realm exists, what possible spiritual, not, not even just like benefit, I'm not saying like going to church spiritual benefit, but can Halloween really be a morally neutral thing? A spiritually neutral thing when it is the high holy day of the church of Satan, when it is when it is, it, is pra- it is a practicing important day in witchcraft, in Wicca, in, in, in wizardry, in, in, in paganism. Can we say that? And if we can't, then even if we talk about the arguments, all things are lawful, all things are not expedient, um, and we're going to talk about that next week. What are we doing on this day? What, is, what, 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 what are churches doing flirting with this day? Flirting with these traditions. Why, why are we trying to Christianize? It's one thing to, you know. Trying to be a part of culture. Christian, yeah. Just like all the other things you were saying, they're trying to play a part in. That's right. And, you know, Christmas and Easter, they both have their pagan roots as well, right? They have, they, they have some pagan roots as well. But the idea that Christmas and Easter, uh, not Easter necessarily, but Resurrection Sunday uh, at least, right? Easter is still pretty pagan as is elements of, Christian, uh, of, of Christmas, but there has been a wholesale re, redirection of Christmas and Resurrection Sunday where a Christian can pursue those entirely in a spiritually uplifting and positive fashion, right? You can reject the materialism, you can reject the things of Easter and Christmas that are wrong, and you can pursue them in a, in a completely, in a completely uh, sanctified way. Where's the sanctification of Halloween? <coughs> it's just not there. It's just not there. There's some people that will trace it back to Roman tradition. There's some people that trace it back to Celtic tradition. And that would be the, a difference of several, I mean, uh, half a millennia, just depending on who you talk to. I mean, is this something that America has celebrated for since America started? Well, I can't see the Puritans celebrating. Right. <laughs> no, what I'm thinking like... But know, they, you know, because the November 1st is Reformation Day, and um, in the Catholic Church, uh, October 31st is Hallow's Eve. Halloween is actually Hallow's Eve. It was the day before um, All Saints Day, which was, the, was, was a hallowed day. But then there was this pagan ritual, but uh, unlike Christmas and unlike Easter, where the, the, the spiritual ritual overcame the pagan ritual, in this sense... When you look around at, at, at the way Halloween functions, it functions completely pagan, right? Christmas functions, it, it has a spiritual function, a, a, a Christian function. Easter has this, this, the, the Christian function. Halloween is 100% pagan association. And the question then becomes, should we have part in this? Or in doing so, are we, are, are we, are we muddying waters? Are we standing for truth? 
Are we elevating truth? Are we maintaining separation? Or is this a holiday that can do nothing but muddy the waters? And then, of course, if we understand the demonic elements, can go much deeper than that. The best case would be muddying the waters. The best case is muddying the waters, I think. The so, worst case, you're actively participating in pagan ritual. And, and pagan ritual that is directly, direct, that is directly related towards Satan and Satan worship. Um, and you know, uh, I don't have the clips here, but if you go back and look at Madonna's Super Bowl uh, halftime show, um, it, it was a pagan occultic ritual as well. If you look at any music, the, 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 um, the VMAs, they have all become like pagan satanic rituals. The stuff that, that they do, I've, I've, I've got a, a, a message I preached several years ago, and that year's VMAs had Katy Perry dancing around a broom as a witch, and uh, they had, a homo- they had um, who was it, Queen Latifah, I think, had been ordained. And she had several homosexual couples. She, she married them on stage at the VMAs. I mean, we're talking about glorifying rebellion and evil, right? And this is the music industry. And I hate to keep, I don't hate to keep coming back to the music industry. But I'm very concerned because I think this is the area, if we want to talk about consistency, if we want to talk about consistency, I really think that, 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 that this needs to be, be thought about a little bit more. Um, let me see. How long is this Aleister Crowley clip here? This one is nine minutes. And then I want to show you... realize that Aleister... I want to show you the Beyonce one, but... Aleister Crowley is not only the father of modern Satanism, but the father of modern culture as well. Crowley, whose house overlooked Loch Ness and was bought by guitarist Jimmy Page, has for good reason also been called the other Loch Ness Monster. Crowley, who in his book Magic had admitted to sacrificing hundreds of children to Satan, was run out of Italy and called by the press of his day the wickedest man on earth. Crowley claimed that a demonic spirit he later identified as Satan himself dictated a book to him in 1904 called the Book of the Law. Under the heading The Law of Thelema, the Book of the Law declares, This book lays down a simple code of conduct. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is a law, love under will. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt. And this is a redefinition of love. This is not love as, as the, the, the love of God. This is erotic love of self. I am God. This is what, he def- this, this is what they mean by love. Satan's arrogant boast, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The book centers around the imposition of satanic self-will in defiance of divine will. Aleister Crowley, elaborating on the satanic doctrine of do what thou wilt, declared, quote, I say today, to hell with Christianity, I will build me a new heaven and a new earth. I want blasphemy, murder, rape, revolution, anything bad, etc. As we shall see, Crowley's do what thou wilt was really do what Satan or Crowley wilt. Crowley taught that one could become a genius in music through practicing his Satanism. Many rock stars have become famous through practicing Aleister Crowley's Satanism. Ozzy Osbourne, seen here bearing an inverted cross, is only one of many rock stars who have promoted Crowley's Satanism. Ozzy Osbourne has stated that Crowley was, quote, a phenomena of his time. Osbourne, like so many other rock stars, initiated the youth into Crowley's teaching through songs like Mr. Crowley. Crowley is considered by many to be the patron saint of rock and roll. Here we see many deluded fans paying homage to him as led by satanic evangelist Ozzy Osbourne. 
Crowley admitted, quote, beneath the standard of objectivity, I serve my great master Satan and the Council of Nine composed of Beelzebub, etc. Satanists who would like to deny the fact that Lester Crowley was a Satanist are like those who would like to claim that Adolf Hitler was not a Nazi. Crowley declared, quote, I swear to work my work at Lord, careless of all but one reward, the pleasure of the devil, our Lord. Crowley forsook his Christian upbringing and admitted, quote, my first step must be to get into personal communication with the devil. Crowley admitted, quote, indeed, my falling away from grace was not occasioned by any intellectual qualms. I accepted the theology of the Plymouth Brethren. In fact, I could hardly conceive of the existence of a people who might doubt it. I simply went over to Satan's side, and to this hour I cannot tell why. He went on to say, I was opposed to an omnipotent God. I was not content to believe in a personal devil and serve him in the ordinary sense of the word. He said, I wanted to get hold of him personally and become his chief of staff. Crowley purported Satan's deception by stating, quote, Lucifer is my own guardian angel, and the devil Satan. This devil Satan is not the enemy of man, but he who made gods of our race, knowing good and evil. He bade know thyself and taught initiation. Satan's hands, all this that lieth betwixt my hands to thee, the beast, and thy control, I pledge me, body, mind, and soul. Satan is using countless rock musicians to initiate the masses into Crowley's teaching. Led Zeppelin's leader, Jimmy Page, is also a fanatic follower of Lester Crowley and his teachings. Page, who boasted hundreds of millions on the front cover of the Doors album 13, over a bust of Lester Crowley. Morrison echoed Crowley's teaching of do what thou wilt, declaring, quote, there are no rules. Morrison stated, I'm interested in anything about revolt, disorder, chaos, especially activity that has no meaning. Here we see a picture of Jesus Christ with his disciples at the Last Supper, the night before he would die for the sins of the world. Below this, we see a picture of Jim Morrison and the other doors hovering around the bust of Lester Crowley. Apparently, they are conveying the idea that just as Jesus Christ has his disciples, Lester Crowley has his own. Crowley's message did not only influence rock bands like Ozzy Osbourne, Merciful Fate, Led Zeppelin, and The Stones, but also punk rock bands like The Clash. Crowley's influence extends far This is a little dated. Punk rock, and extends into the realms of gothic and industrial music as well. The Cure is only one of several gothic bands who have been influenced by Satanist Aleister Crowley. No one should be surprised to find out that Satanist Baron Manson is a follower as conformed to the teachings of Aleister Crowley as well. In chapter 9, called The Rules, under his book called The Log Hard Road Out of Hell, he quotes Aleister Crowley's maxim, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. You know Many think that bands like 311 are safe. Many of these bands mock Christianity and purport Crowley's satanic teaching. In fact, here on the inside cover of their album Transmitter, a closer look reveals Crowley's teaching, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Bands
events like 311 promote the use of drugs which open people up to the demonic spirit world, forbidden in scripture as a pharmacia. The drug epidemic which has destroyed so many lives made inroads into millions of homes through the drug revolution of the 1960s. Aleister Crowley has been called the unsung hero of the 1960s and the father of the New Age movement. Time Magazine, a front page article on the New Age movement, declares that they don't know where the term came from or where the movement is going. But the evidence is all so clear for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Crowley's book, The Book of the Law, the spirit of Satan channeled through him wrote of the coming of the new eon, a transliteration of the Greek word Ionis for age. The book declares how this new eon of Horus will develop, how the child will grow up. These are for us to determine, growing up ourselves in the way of the law of Thelema, under the enlightened guidance of the Master Therion. And just who is a Master Therion that is to guide the new age? At the end of the book, we discover that Therion equals 666, the number of the Antichrist, the one whom the Bible calls the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, who is to reign during the last period of history, the tribulation period. So I want to get on to a couple more clips here. But So this, this is the guy that, you know, they showed the Doors album and they showed the bust of him. Can I get these on a drive? Uh, yeah, if you want to, uh, on, on the last page of this, um, this is a, a smaller portion of, the, a good portion of this is online and is uh, simply a documentary called, called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. And I think I've got that as one of the resources on here. Um, yeah, uh, YouTube watch They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. If you want to get a little bit more about this, I've got several books here um, about various people. I've got that Qigong resource if you want to go to that and read that book. It's not too long about Qigong. Um, I've, and then some other books here about how it's connected to the false church. Rick Warren and the Purpose Driven Church, uh, Sarah Young and the Jesus Calling Movement, Oprah Winfrey and the New Age so Church. Yeah. Just showing how the philosophies of Rick Warren's purpose driven life are actually the merging of Helen Shookman's concepts of, of spiritism rather than actual biblicism. And if, if you want to get into that, I actually have these books if you want to borrow them. Um, you, I meant to bring them tonight, but I forgot. But if you want to borrow them, I will try to bring them next week. Um, so listen to how Beyonce describes her coming out ceremony. When I performed Crazy in Love at the BT Awards, it was almost like my coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my girl, Beyonce! <laughs> very nervous, of course, and I remember when they told me I was performing on BT, in my mind I saw the set immediately. I said I want something big, I want something that says I'm here, Beyonce, <laughs> and I, I, I drew it out, I drew out the ramp, I drew out the, the boxes for me and my girls, I drew out the lift right in the O, it just so happened that uh, o was right in the center of my name for me to come down. I knew the dance. I knew about the pumps. I saw all of that in my head before it happened. And it's, it's great when you visualize something and it actually comes to life. Come on. It was way better than, than I expected, and Sasha was in full effect. That's her alter ego. alter ego. 
And when people see me, sometimes I think that when they meet me and they speak with me, they're expecting Sasha. And um, I'm really kind of shy, and not really shy, but more reserved and um, nothing like Sasha. But I guess I wouldn't be very entertaining on the stage. So Sasha comes out <laughs> and she's fearless. You know, she can, she can do things that I cannot do when I'm in rehearsal. I mean, I can try, but then it just doesn't happen. I can sing notes and sing strong and do all these things that when I'm just by myself, I can't do. And I remember right before I performed, I raised my hands up and it was kind of the first time I, I felt something else come into me. And I knew that was gonna be my coming out night for the BET Awards. See, that, that stuff concerns me when I hear it. When I hear things like something came over me, came into me, I felt something come into me and I had thing, I was able to do things I couldn't do. Call it adrenaline, call it just euphemisms, that's fine if you want to call it that. But when I read the Word of God and when I understand that, that Satan brought Jesus to the high temple and said, uh, to, to the top and said, I will give you the kingdoms of this world if you bow down and worship me. And you see the connections uh, look, look at any music video. I mean, you look at music videos, you look at, there are cultic symbols everywhere, there are demonic symbols everywhere. Uh, Madonna wearing, having, having a, a dress at the Super Bowl that has the head of Baphomet. You know that creepy guy that was on that first slide? That's Baphomet. That's a, 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 a symbolic, the goat's head. That's a satanic symbol. It's a, it's, a, it's a personification of Satan. He's pointing up and down, as above, so below. That's a, a satanic idea that, that that which is above can be brought down, that we can go up, that, that that can be brought down, that there's this I am God, God is me type idea. That's why he's pointing up and down at the same time. And he's got the, the, the goat head of Baphomet with the, the, the pentagram on, on his forehead, all of these things. And, and she, she's wearing a Baphomet dress. I mean... This stuff should not be ignored. And, and so I know that when we talked before about it, and I mentioned music, I got a lot of skepticism. And that's fine. From me. From, well, not just from you. But, but, and, but, and that's fine. I get it. And, and you know, we, we, can, we can talk through individual artists and all of this stuff and recognizing that some people are just in an industry because they love music, and I get that too. But what I'm saying is, as a whole, if you open your eyes to what is happening... Why would Satan pinpoint the music industry as, as an industry of choice? And uh, I'd, yeah, I'd encourage you to watch that. There's also this really good documentary. If you do want a thumb drive of all this stuff, Gods of the New Age, it's a really interesting one that links um, New Age teaching as it's found itself in our culture, yoga, things that are happening in the church, even some of the, the elements of the charismatic movement with paganism. Um, um, yoga is a Near Eastern mystic element that is intended to empty yourself of your inhibitions to be filled with, with effectively demonic spirits. It's a, it's a, yes, yes. Music has been his thing from day one. You're absolutely right. Um, this, the longest tunnel in the European Union, 
Switzerland, the, the, I forget what it's called now, the G-something or the tunnel. Let me show you a brief clip of their opening ceremony for this tunnel. I mean, the whole thing is pornographic, so I can't actually show it to you. But this thing is terrifying and freaky. It's this crazy pagan ritual. And this is a, supposed to be some opening ceremony for a European Union-backed tunnel. Uh, how long is this? Yeah, like a tunnel through the Swiss Alps. I, I just cut this in little sections. You know, so, so it shows these people climbing and then falling to their death. For whatever reason. What is that doing? What is that doing in a tunnel dedication, right? Pay, you know, and then they all start stripping, and, 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 they, and, and there's another part of this where there's actually like naked people dancing around, people with goat's heads on dancing around. Uh, like, this is you know, a, a European Union sanction. There's, there are things going on in the background, folks. There are things going on in this world that, that are more than meets the eye. Right? This is not, th- th- there's something deeper going on here. You have to admit that, right? And then they've got these specters that, uh, uh, again, I'm just clipping this. This thing was over an hour long. Uh, five years ago, I think. and this guy, half goat, half person, strange stuff. Who's the audience? Is there, are there people? That are- European Union officials, like the, the, the heads of the European Union, all the big wigs for the opening of this tunnel. You want to watch the rest of it? I, I, you, know, you can do that online. But you can't tell me that there's not something happening behind the scenes spiritually when this stuff is happening, right? That's creepy. Why in the world would that happen? Why in the world would, would any of these things happen? Uh, wh- why, why does the VMAs, well, you know, wh- why is it the way it is? Um, wh- why are there so many occultic symbols? Why are there so many rebellious, evil things happening? Uh, there's, there's deeper stuff behind the scenes. And I encourage you, um, you know, children's literature, Harry Potter, you, be careful with Harry Potter. This woman, the, um, that, the, uh, whatever her name is that wrote him, um, who's super, super rich now. <laughs> she, she, the spells in there are real. Like, she actually did her research and she brought real stuff in. Uh, Doctor Strange, when that guy talked about astral projection, right? 
Now, it's one thing, superheroes, you know, is one thing, but, but do you really want your children seeing Doctor Strange? And, and, and that, that's the next step up, right? From superhero stuff, we're talking about a man now who's, who, the things that, that he does there, not all of them, obviously, but some of the things he's doing there, I mean, that is like real witchcraft. Where do you draw the line and say, I don't want my kids to see that as cool? Where do you draw the line and say, I don't want my kids to, I don't want this to be normalized. When God says witches need to die. Now again, I'm not saying we go around and kill witches, right? But what, I, what I'm saying is, uh, individually, right? I mean, if the, if the government had that policy, we might be better off. But, but just from a legal perspective, I mean, but. YouTube's totally censoring us. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't monetize anything anyway, right? <laughs> Sure. Somebody got this witch. There was either Jesus or a couple of disciples. Um, that was in Acts. There was a witch that was. Well, she wasn't a witch. She was. She was a demonically possessed woman who was a like a prophet, a, a soothsayer, and she was following Paul and and Barnabas, and and he cast the demon out of her, and then the whole city got angry, and particularly these people who owned her because they were profiting greatly by her. Simon the Sorcerer was also in the book of Acts, and he was profiting greatly. Right, and, and cast the demon out of her. And Simon the Sorcerer was also a man who was profiting greatly in the, in the dark arts until he got saved, and that was in the book of Acts as well. Yeah, that was, that's the one, yeah, that's Legion. That was that Mark passage, Mark 9. Right, and, and, and there's, the reasons why they jumped off the cliff is most likely because um, when, when Jesus cast out demons, I believe personally that demons are not allowed in God's economy technically to, to possess men, like it's not allowed. So when he cast them out, because they asked him, don't send us into the deep, and that word deep is Tartarus, which is the place where the disobedient angels are held in chains. So I think that any, any de- demon that Jesus cast out was actually sent into Tartarus, was in, 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 at that point lost their freedom. And so they were actually asking Jesus for the mercy of not being sent to Tartarus, but rather being allowed to go possess something that was more innocuous. And then they put him over the cliff so that they could be released from the body and then go back into the world. Um, and why Jesus acquiesced to that request is another debate for another day as opposed to sending them into that that place of chains but um, yeah when we understand this stuff is real and I'm not trying to make you paranoid and I'm not trying you know you when you get into this realm of YouTube you start getting into super conspiracy stuff and people think you know that there's the devil around every corner and whatnot and I, I I hope that you'll if you if you go this route that you'll find the balance of Again, the farther you get from the Bible, the, the, the farther you get from an, an anchor, right? An anchor. And you need to try to stay close to that, at least stay moored to that anchor. But I do encourage you to allow, if you understand that the demonic realm is real, and that Satan owns the halls of power, and I don't just mean that in a, the Jews, you know, Illuminati uh, type sense, but I mean Satan, where, where power collects Satan's aspirations, an aspiration toward Satan will be there because Satan and power are, are intertwined, right? They're, they're, it's, the, it's, it's his philosophy. The will to power, as Friedrich Nietzsche would call it. 
This is Satan's philosophy. And if that is indeed the case, then you would expect that Hollywood, music industry, video game industry, uh, halls of various governments would be places where you could see the influence of Satan more obviously and see the areas where Satan is going to seek to infiltrate and work his way into culture and work his way into individual lives. And this is where you know I warn you against culture. If we're going to be consistent with Halloween, then I would encourage you, if, you're, if, if you've been thinking about Halloween and saying, maybe I should look into this a little bit more, then again, if I can just encourage you to look into what is on your television, what is going through the speaker systems in your home, and where, where, what are the messages being found in that? What, what, are, are, there messages of, are they messages of rebellion and of evil and of, of right being called wrong and wrong being called right? Who are the people that's putting this together and what might they be wanting to do through this medium of communication that they're, they're doing here? And if we see things... Now again, in the music industry, a lot of this stuff is just kind of cool, right? It's just culture. It's what everyone does because it's cool and that's that. But can we really parse those that have, have actually believed, you know, sold themselves out to this stuff and those that are just kind of a part of the culture? And so they, they say these things or they do these things or they think these things because that's kind of how the culture runs. You'll know them by their fruit. So why is it that every single woman now that, that has any sort of uh, stage influence gets out in underwear to sing. You have to, right, in order to be popular. But what, what's going on there? This breakdown of, of morality, of when we see that, you've got to see that there's something going on there. When the, the tenor of the music, the tone of what's going on is conducive to this kind of sensuality, why? What's, what, why? What, why? I mean, the most modest person in the music industry for X number of years has been Taylor Swift. And that's because her standard is I won't show my belly button, right? That's, that's, I mean, that's modesty now in the music industry. There's, there's something deeply wrong. There's something, something deeply wrong when Jay-Z's if you've ever seen his Rokaware clothing line, you know, he has the Do What Thou Wilt shirt. He has one that says, One God, and on the front it has a, a, a Nation of Islam symbol and a cross and a Jewish star and everything kind of melded together, and it says, One God on the front. And then on the back it says, One God, and it has a dollar sign and a, Europe, a euro and a pound and a yen, and they're all merged together. What is going on there? There's a spiritual message that underlies that. Maybe it's just cool and trendy, but there's a spiritual message there that is excessively evil. A pluralistic message. Uh, once again, uh, if I could get into Saul Alinsky and Alice Bailey, you could, you could get a little more of this. I'll give you those clips. This, is a, um, this here is a PDF, and it's from the National Crime Registry, put out in like 1993. Satanic cult awareness. And it talks about all the things that you need to be aware of. Uh, this is a crime document. And all of the things to be aware of uh, if you're looking for a satanic cult. And as you, you know, if you, if you want to read through it, um, 
you know, it talks about isolation and hypnosis and guilt and fear and all of the things that we know of with cults. Um, but let me get down to... Um, And all the indoctrination, torture, physical deprivation, drug abuse, religious and spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, all of the things that, that are about breaking down a person's will. Um, um, let's see if I... So Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams, uh, undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit, kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates, vengeance instead of turning the other cheek, responsibility for the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. That would be, that would be the weak, um, the, those that do nothing but drain society. Um, man is just another animal. That's where evolution comes in. Uh, and the idea that we are just another animal um, who, because of his divine and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. Satan represents all of the so-called sins, and they lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. Satan has been the best friend, of the, uh, best friend the church has ever had. He kept it in business all these years. Um, and these are the, you know, the, the things which you look for. If you hear these things, you, you might be dealing with a Satanist. Um, then it gets into their, yeah, if a conversation takes place, don't panic. Um, the, different, the different things that, that associate with Satanism and whatnot. Um, their high holy days, October 31st, Halloween, or Samhain, which would be the Celtic uh, uh, idea. First highest satanic holiday celebration of the beginning of the Celtic year. In Catholicism, of course, November 1st is All Saints Day. So there's, there's this uh, merging of uh, a, a spiritual thing with then the pagan thing and, and there's the pagan one and there's the spiritual one which is very common among all of the, the rituals. But anyway, there's that there for you too. But this is just a very, and I know some of you guys got to go, we're 15 after. This is a very basic initiation. Next week I want to get a little more biblical. Thank you. Very good. Uh, I want to get a little bit more biblical with some of the elements of finalizing your thoughts on this. But until then, if uh, if to whatever degree you go down this rabbit hole, and I hope it doesn't take you too deep, because like I said, when I get, got into this stuff, I literally got on edge and felt filthy and needed to take a shower and had to go listen to some, some, music, some, some, some godly music for a while just to, just to decompress. Um, this stuff is, is nasty and dangerous and evil and awful. But if you know that it's in the world, and you know that Satan is active in the world, then it ought to change the way you see some of these things. And then that ought to influence the decisions you make as it relates to what is coming into you, your home, uh, what are you participating in actively, and then how can you find a balance to say, I, I don't want to, you know, we're not just going to become Amish and just renounce everything and, and just live on a hill somewhere, but at the same time, not allow the, the philosophies of Satan to creep into our lives. And, you know, we've got, you, you go to church for a couple hours a week, and then if you have the rest of the week pounding satanic philosophy into you, rebellion and do what thou wilt and do what feels right and, 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 um, and vengeance and all of these things, then 
God may not win that one in your heart. You know, 